Kate Parker. This is Warming Signs, a podcast with the sound minds of science. Who run the world? Girls, especially if we want to solve climate change. This week, I'm joined by Dr. Katherine Wilkinson of Project Drawdown, the most comprehensive plan to reverse climate change that's ever been proposed. Now, during our chat, I learned that equality isn't just a basic human right. It's an absolute must if we're ever going to reverse the course on climate change. Catherine, I'm so glad that you came back to talk to me on Warming Signs because our last conversation on God and climate change, if you haven't listened to that episode, you have to because she's brilliant and it'll make you excited for this episode. (laughs) But I'm just so glad that you're back with us to talk about women and climate change this time. Yeah, you're starting to get a sense that I like these sort of unusual kind of intersections of topics where people go, huh, you know, religion and climate. What's that about? Climate and women? What? <laughs> well, I really like to ask questions about those. So it works out, right? It's kind of a match made in heaven. Um, I do I I do think that one of the places to start with this conversation is that you wrote an opinion piece that was called Women Hold the Key to Curbing Climate for CNN. And I believe that was around International Women's Day. It was. Uh, which, by the way, is March 8th, and Men's International Men's Day is November 11th, um, or I'm sorry, November 19th, because inevitably someone will ask. So <laughs> I have to at least mention that, International Women's so Day. So plan your celebrations early. <laughs> yeah, get ready. I want to see that rally on Twitter. Okay, so you wrote this, Women Hold the Key to Curbing Climate. And first of all, that if that's not enough to make you click, I don't know what is. How? I mean, can you kind of summarize and then maybe we can dive in a little deeper, but how do women hold the key for curbing climate change? So it's it's really interesting, actually. Um, There are kind of key areas of gender equity or kind of think about just sort of fundamental rights and opportunities for women and girls that turn out to have these positive ripple effects that end up impacting emissions. And we can dig into a little bit more of of what that's about. But there's that piece of the puzzle. And then I think there's also a a leadership piece of the puzzle that we are we are really seeing an incredible upswelling of climate leadership from from women and and girls um, in this moment. And that's, you know, everything from Christiana Figueres leading the Paris Agreement negotiations to now teenage girls all over the world leading teenagers and and youth by the thousands to strike from school, um, uh, calling for climate action by governments um, around the world. Really amazing. Um, so they're kind of two two interesting threads for us to explore. So starting first with that first one, uh, gender equity, the equality of gender. When you think of that, you don't necessarily imagine that it has anything to do with the environment or climate change. Um, I think about, you know, I'd like to have an equal paycheck. <laughs> you know, I, there are more um, tangible things that are probably right in front of me, but I don't consider that. Where have you found that connection? Yeah, w- one of the things I've learned is that Climate is is kind of one big exercise in seeing things systemically and holistically um, and realizing that indeed kind of everything ends up being 
in some way threaded to, to everything else, it seems. Um, so one of the areas that, that we looked at in our work at, at Project Drawdown, which is the nonprofit where I'm based, um, we looked at smallholder farmers. It turns out that smallholder farmers are really, really critical for producing the food that we eat, um, particularly in low income or lower income countries around the world. And when you look at the resources, land rights, um, training, support that's available to male smallholder farmers, there's a gap um, for what women are able to access. Seeds, credit, capital, you name it. And obviously, there are implications there, right? If you don't have good resources and good training, um, it's harder to do good work as a farmer. And what that translates into is how much food you're actually able to grow on a given plot of land. And and so what we see is that when women are given equal access to um, to land rights, to capital, to to basic resources and training, the yields on their land grow and they meet or in some studies actually show they end up exceeding that of their male counterparts. So really clear positive implications for families, for um, hunger and food security, for communities and health. Um, but also if you have an existing plot of land that's producing well, producing enough food, you're less likely to need to push into the nearby ecosystem, forest or grassland um, for additional agriculture space. And so you end up having this benefit of actually protecting the ecosystems that are doing such a great job of, of sequestering and storing carbon. Um, so, you know, it's again, you kind of have to follow this thread of logic, right? Support women smallholders. They realize higher yields, and that helps to avoid deforestation and the emissions that come with it. More efficient farming. More efficient farming is yeah. the answer. But but in order to do that, you can't rely on only half of the population. Yeah. And, and actually, in a lot of places, women are becoming increasingly responsible for food production as men migrate into cities um, looking for work. And of course, that also means you've got more women farmers on the front lines of adapting to climate impacts, right? To drought and extreme weather events um, and changes in the seasons. And what does that mean for when you need to plant and when you can harvest and what grows where? So, it's all the more reason that there's there's a need for for a really robust support um, for those farmers. That's a remarkable connection, and it's incredible because it is. There are so many things that climate change touches that we kind of have to dig sometimes to find. And it may not seem like a lot whenever you're talking about one farm, but I can see how whenever you're talking about entire continents. Yeah. When you're talking about millions upon millions of smallholder farmers, it, it really makes a difference. And the other area um, that actually has impact that is on par with solar panels and wind turbines and forest protection is there are kind of two sides of the same coin. One is ensuring that girls and young women have access to education. Um, so that they're able to get at least all the way through secondary school, high school, and also that they have access to family planning and reproductive health care. Now, 
that's all about giving women and girls kind of the basic tools that they need to be able to have more agency in their lives, um, to be able to pursue opportunity, to make decisions about how many children they want to have and when. And it turns out that with more years of education, um, girls and, and then women often choose to marry later and to have fewer children smaller families and and then they're able to invest more resources and um and support into the children that they do have and of course if you want to do that you need some means some contraception um and and healthcare to to be able to make those decisions so again it may sound like well you know just one family well if they have two children instead of four children that doesn't seem like that big of a difference but when you add up those choices around the world and over time that ends up having a huge impact on, you know, basically the size of our human family um, and how quickly it grows. Yeah, I've seen the countless headlines lately where people are either, you know, we see the the clickbait, the um, want to solve climate change, don't have kids. And then you see the groups of women that have actually committed to being childless or or having fewer children. But this is like a, a very on the same conversation, but it feels like a very different one. Like, hey, if you just have some equality there and you don't tell women, hey, don't have kids, you don't tell people, hey, don't have children, but you just have some gender equality this and access to resources, you're kind of solving that problem. Little pause here for one of our recurring segments, Y'all Need Some Science, where I introduce scientific concepts to the people who need it most. And this week's lesson is for all of us. Info babe, climate Barbie, climate babe. Those are just some of the kinder demeaning names that have been hurled at women who speak truths about climate change. Now, don't get me wrong. Everyone who talks about climate change gets nasty reactions from climate change denialists, but it's especially bad for us women. And it turns out that there might be a scientific reason for that. Researchers found that sexists and climate denialists have something in common. They both tend to support the existing social patriarchy, I mean hierarchy. When researchers want to determine a person's thoughts on hierarchy, they'll ask respondents how much they agree with statements like this. Some groups of people must be kept in their place. Yikes. So to sniff out a sexist, they'll ask respondents if they agree with statements like, women seek to gain power by getting control over men. And surprise, surprise, the men who agreed with that statement also tended to agree with this one. Climate change poses little risk to human health, safety, and prosperity. Now, that doesn't mean that every sexist is also an anthropogenic climate change denier or vice versa. In fact, it doesn't even necessarily mean that deniers are more likely to be sexist. But this might just give you a better idea as to why female climatologists catch so much flack online. Now let's get back to my chat with Catherine because gender equality is just one part of this complex socioeconomic connection. Is there also a connection between um, income disparity, between this huge gap in wealth that we have across the country? Is everybody responsible equally? Does everybody have an equal role in this in the climate conversation or climate action? This is a really important uh, yeah, but or um, 
you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but. <laughs> yeah, but. Right. Um, so when you look at per capita emissions around the world, individual level emissions around the world, um, there is huge disparity, right? Um, it's, it's no comparison the average person in the U.S. compared to the average person in Madagascar. It is literally an exponentially different sort of scenario. Um, but it's also different within our own country. Um, and, and what we know is that the kind of very wealthiest individuals around the world are producing vastly more emissions than others. Um, and you can think about that like – for most of us, if we fly on airplanes, that's by far our biggest personal impact on on climate. Um, and you think about very wealthy people flying a lot in private jets, right? That's just sort of one example, and you can imagine how how that um, how that kind of thing adds up. But people don't like to feel that guilt, you know. No, you don't want to feel that. Oh gosh, I have vacation planned. I do. I have a I have a trip planned. Yeah, and you do. You, ugh, it's like one of these things you think about, and you're like, oh, I know, but I'd really like to go see this place. Yeah, I mean, with these many many things that we can do. Is there a way of easing that guilt at all? <laughs> I don't know that you have the answers to this, but I'm I'm looking to you and saying, please tell me there's some answers. Yeah, you know, I I I I think about it a lot, and again, you know, right? It's it's funny the way you sort of get these camps, right? That it's like you've got one camp saying like individual action, it's all about individual action, another camp saying no, 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 it's all about systemic change and collective action. Well, yeah, it's all, it's actually all of these things, right? Um, there are things that I can do in my personal life. There are things that I can do in my professional life or in my workplace. There are things that I can get involved in in the public square or in politics, right? There are lots of kind of layers of, of action that I think we can all take. And I think the, the, one of the really hard things about climate is that when you come to acknowledge it as a problem, you also come to see yourself as part of the cause of the problem. Um, not because you're bad, right? Um, not because you're some kind of evil doer. Um, but because we live in a system that uses industrial agriculture and is dependent on fossil fuels, at least for now, um, that, you know, is, is growing and expanding and pushing into natural areas and ecosystems, right? And all of these things start to add up. So I think, um, I think sort of don't get stuck in the guilt. Um, but, and, and the same thing, you know, I, I, there's, there's so much negative and hard emotion, I think, that can come with having your eyes wide open to what's happening on our planet. And I think for some people, that's fear. Um, for me, it's often just a real sadness um, about what's happening to to life, right? Um, and And I think finding a way to get energy right out of that um to to step forward into some kind of action that feels right for you in the context that you're in with the skills and the talents and the resources that you have um i think that's the 
I think that's the antidote. Is realizing you're one person, but you can do something that makes you feel good. You can do. like You can find what your answer is. Yeah. It's not the same for everyone. It's not. And people, I think, you know, I get this question. I'm sure you get this question all the time, too. Like, well, just what can I do? What should I do? Kind of like, can I just have a checklist of like four <laughs> things and I'll do them and I'll do them so well. And then like, I won't have to worry anymore. And again, it's like, yeah, there's just not a checklist, right? And there are things that loads of things that you could do, you know, at home with your husband and your house and your neighborhood. But the impact that you're having by hosting these kinds of conversations and changing the story and shifting the paradigm, like that's so important, right? And Thanks. that's impact at scale, I think. Thanks for easing some of my climate guilt, <laughs> my, my airplane guilt. I know. The, 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 I know. There are wonderful wonderful people that have committed to not flying and I just I I am in awe of them yeah but I wanted to be a pilot when I was little and I love <laughs> so it's a it's a it's a little bit of a, a catch-22 no there. it is and I think this you know I think this is one of the really aviation is one of the really tricky areas when we think about solutions and we love, I mean, we love to travel. We love mobility. It's wonderful to be able to explore and see people that you love and places that you love that are far away. And, and, you know, at least for a segment of the population that can afford that, like that's become part of life, right? And, um, and we often live far away from where we grew up. So this is a, it's, it's a, I think a, a uniquely tricky, um, area and figuring out how do we keep that good of mobility, right? Longer term, um, but do it without emissions. That'll be a real, real trick. That'll be the, hopefully the huge invention of this century. Yeah. And like, also, could we get some trains? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Even like in Atlanta, can I get a few trains? Can a girl get some trains up here? <laughs> get, uh, because when I'm like in Manhattan, I love taking the train. I much prefer the train. People think I'm crazy for preferring yeah. the train, but I get motion sickness in the back of cabs. So I much prefer the train. Yeah. And anyways, I, I digress. Is there anything that whenever it comes to kind of bringing it back full circle with this conversation with... um inequality, specifically gender inequality or just inequality in general, Mm -hmm. that gives you hope? Mm. Well, you know, we we started talking a little bit about this kind of uprising of of leadership from from girls and women. And what I think is is really amazing about it is that that it's it's happening despite underinvestment in women's efforts on climate or or on the environment. Shockingly, just uh, 0.2% of global philanthropic dollars go specifically toward women in the environment. It's $110 million annually around the world, which is like almost nothing, right, when it comes to philanthropy. Um, it's, it's what uh, that one guy spent on the um, Basquiat painting in 2017. Just, just one painting. Just, just one, saying. Just one painting for one guy. For all global female for all glo- environmental yeah. efforts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so and yet, right, um, women and girls are stepping up and and leading this work. And they're also often overcoming not having a seat 
at decision-making tables, right? We still see that a lot of decisions about climate are being made um, predominantly by men. And I, I think, you know, when people go, wow, like gender equity and climate, what? How did we miss that? It's like, well, maybe if we'd had more women as part of this conversation, they would have seen it sooner, you know, <laughs> because people have known this and they've been studying it. Um, but, you know, you have kind of the, you have some of the built in biases, right? Um, that, that I think come into play. Thank you so much for coming back. And I'm talking so glad. To me again. <laughs> I'm so glad to be here. I may just, you know, pop up. You may not even know I'm coming. Come on over. <laughs> just give us a call. You're always welcome. Thank you again. And, um, if people want to know more about Project Drawdown, is there anything that you can do? I think you might have a book. Yes, <laughs> we have a book um, called Drawdown, the most comprehensive plan ever proposed to reverse global warming. Um, it's a New York Times bestseller and has great photography. So don't worry, this is not your typical climate book. Um our website is www.drawdown.org and you can find us on social media. And they can buy the book there? Oh, you can buy the book on Amazon or literally in almost every bookstore. Oh, fancy. Yeah. And sometimes <laughs> it's still really nice to actually go into a bookstore. They have a great smell. They have a great smell. They have a great smell. I know. Libraries too. Oh, yeah. It's in lots of libraries and schools also. There you go. Reusing. Exactly. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Another huge thanks to Dr. Katherine Wilkinson for coming in. She is just an absolute pleasure to talk to. So I hope you guys enjoyed that you got her on another episode of Warming Sides. I want to talk to you, though, also. So please tweet at me at WeatherKate. That's at Weather K-A-I-T. I would love to continue this conversation there. You can go and check it out. I've been talking with you. You've been telling me ideas. And you know what? We've got some of those in the works. You've been saying, hey, you forgot to post this link. And I have posted it. So thank you for the reminder. Um, I would love to continue that conversation. So please have it with me. Of course, if you want to give any shout outs or thanks to the production staff here, weather.com, that wouldn't hurt either. I try to do it at the end of every podcast, but I'm sure they'd love to hear it from you also. Our producer, Mia Beachak, Dan Wright, Jim Robinson, Eric Zirkel, the whole team here who help get all of these thoughts out of my brain and into yours every Tuesday. We'll chat next week. 